Wes, you covered Duke a lot at the end of the David Cutcliffe era. We all love Cutcliffe. I do. Matt does. He did a remarkable sure. job at Duke, but it really got away from him at the end there. How truly remarkable, and in your time, can you remember a turnaround from the end of Cutcliffe to where Mike Elko has them now in the ACC, to have them at this level that fast? This is an all-time job here, right? It's pretty close. I mean, even when you think about the – you know, the bygone eras of 40 and 50 years ago, you didn't see somebody come in and in the span of less than 15 games kind of flip a switch, right? Yeah. It was interesting. Last year I had them, uh, it was at Roddy Jones and I had their first game. We had the Carolina game, which was kind of almost middle of the season. And then we had the Wake Forest game at the end of the year, right? And you got to see the marked improvement as the year went on. Well, a little funny thing happened on the way to, you know, the 2023 season here when Mike Elko, his team kept hearing how hard their schedule was going to be. It was a little bit like last year when he told them, said, hey, guys, just trust us and we'll win, right? And that team trusted him the other night. They played like a team. They played like the more talented veteran team, to be honest with you. And I think that's a really weird situation probably for a lot of Clemson fans to be in, to kind of, you know, be in a game that everybody thinks you're going to win, and then all of a sudden you're kind of helpless during the game. And, you know, for all the things that have been said in the last 24 hours or so about where Clemson was offensively, the the thing that that kind of surprised me was Clemson, I didn't think was great defensively Monday night. And and that was an area I thought they were going to be really good. And, yeah, they made some mistakes. Dabo's right. It's a weird game. It's a game unlike probably he's ever seen. You don't have – fumbles inside the 10 going in for scores. You don't have the, you know, the breakaway plays by, you know, an opponent offensively like that. And I, Duke deserves a tremendous amount of credit. Mike is a terrific football coach. Leonard, we are fortunate guys in the ACC. We are seeing three spectacular quarterbacks. You guys saw one Saturday night with Drake, Leonard at Duke, and Jordan Travis at Florida State. I mean, we're probably talking about three first-round guys. You know, if uh, if the pro guys came full card with you, I think they'd tell you that each of those guys probably has a chance to go in the first round. I know May Definitely. and Leonard do for sure. Definitely. No doubt about it. Um, uh, Wes Durham with us, ACC Network. We're going to have him put his Falcons play-by-play voice hat on in a second. But I do want to – covering everything for us this week, isn't this, it? This, we, don't, we don't have to do anything. He's covered all Is the this key. where I talk about Appalachian Carolina Saturday? Yep, yeah, you so. call in the okay, game. So that's, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Give a little plug for the game at 515. Wes just, just host a show. Dude. On ACC Network. Can Carolina <laughs> keep up – and this starts obviously Saturday for the game you got on ACC Network. Sure. Can Carolina keep, like, I'm not saying the defense, we need nine sacks out of them at 16 TFLs, but, like, can the defense and the O-line and all these other parts that help Drake May on Saturday night, like, can they keep pitching in so he doesn't have to do it on his own? Yeah, I mean, I don't see why not, but let's be honest. You guys sat there Saturday night and went, who in the world is this in the blue tackling people? Right? <laughs> Didn't you? Go ahead. It's oh, okay. definitely. Hey, as, a, definitely. As, a, as a Gamecock fan, I was really confused by the whole situation. <laughs> <laughs> you were thinking, wait a second, where's Todd Ellis? Where's Steve Tannehill? We ought to be wiring these guys up. I thought um, I saw Greg Ellis out there at one point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Greg Ellis. And that's why they, I'm convinced they got to call McDonough. I'm convinced that while they ran the Lawrence Taylor clip. That was the last time they'd seen that. I'm um, The... And, you know, and Mac was thinking, man, this is just like it was in the 90s when I had K-May. Uh, the, uh, here's, here's kind of where I think Carolina is. 
first of all, there is something to the residual effect of Gene Chizik's teachings on defense, okay? I mean, the guy is an incredible defensive mind. And a year ago, I mean, he was, you know, probably at wit's end with, you know, stuff not being processed the right way. So I think that's one. Two, look, they've got balance on offense. And they ran the ball efficiently the other night. I have one concern. One. They were really good around the football. They obviously sacked Rattler. They stopped the run. But they did give up 353 yards in passing. So if I'm going to be the picky guy on this, I'm going to say, wait a second, guys, you can't, and you know, you can't let Spencer Rattler, you can't let Joey Aguilar on Saturday for Appalachian, who by the way came in the game up there in Boone and started spinning it. Yeah, he looked good. Um, I mean, you you just can't let that happen week to week because you're going to play with fire, especially when you get further into the ACC campaign. But no, there there's a lot of things about Carolina that you could sign up for on Saturday night. I thought the versatility of the run game was there. I thought May got the ball out to a lot of different guys. Um, and you knock on wood, if he gets Tez Walker back, you know, Thursday from the NCAA silly season and he gets Nate McCollum healthy, you know, that's just two more weapons on the perimeter. And I really liked what Chip, uh, Chip Lindsay did with uh, the integration, especially of the three tight ends in the offense for sure. We're talking to the great Wes Durham, ACC Ooh. Network. Oh, yeah, I threw great in there. And Falcons Ooh. Radio Network as well. Wes, as we turn our attention to Panthers-Falcons, my question about, I'm sure Mac has 75 questions about Desmond Ritter, but I was going to ask you about Kyle Pitts. What what led to last year Pitts not having the year we expected, and how has he really looked in the in the camps this year compared to last year? I think missing the last half of the season with the injury is probably the biggest reflection of his numbers. Um, I thought he was tracking pretty well through the first six to eight games, and then you know he missed the last seven weeks of the season with the injury. So I think that had as much to do with it as anything else. Um, at some point, however, the Pitts injury was a growth area for Drake London then to step forward, right? Um, Cordero Patterson, who was such a feature piece two years ago for what Atlanta did offensively, has now kind of become a guy who's also a part of the package. Well, it's not that he's reduced. His workload will be less because he's an older guy. But I think what you're going to see out of CP on Sunday is a is a guy who lines up in three or four different places. In fact, at Mac and Bone, I think that's what you're going to see a lot offensively is guys line up all over the place. And that's one of the things that I've been very curious about with Arthur Smith's offense. Now that he's got all these toys, so to speak, John Robinson, Tyler Algier running the ball, the two tight ends, the four receivers, what does this look like? And I think Sunday's going to be like opening up a new, a new box of presents for everybody from a Falcons perspective. So, but Kyle is, Kyle is a weapon, and he's a weapon anywhere on the field. And then you add Drake London, and now Mike Hollins has come over from uh, Vegas in free agency. Atlanta feels like they're pretty well set to, to kind of do some damage here. I think. Man, I hope the Falcons open up their presence bone and there's fruitcakes and socks in there. <laughs> that's, that's all you got. That's what I'm hoping Is for. That sounds kind of personal. You get, you get a bad gift recently? Yeah, those are some bad gifts okay. over the well, years. Let me tell you something. Here's the funny part about Sunday, guys. The two biggest focal points, for each team, score off against each other. Because let's be honest, if Burns plays, you guys, Carolina feels like they're pretty set on defense, yeah. right? I mean, yep. they're, they're, they're really good and really talented. and I mean, seemingly have hombres at every corner. Um, so the real 
quiz on Sunday becomes the Panthers' offense and the Falcons' defense. It just does. Yeah. You haven't seen Miles Sanders yet in a football jersey carry the ball live in public, correct? Yep. Yeah. So you spent a lot of money. You got him in free agency. Now all of a sudden, here he is. What does that look like? What does that look like in Frank Reich's offense, which is back geared at times for all the for the guy being a quarterback for years and an unbelievable player and all this other stuff and the first quarterback in Falcons history. You know, you you can run the football with a guy like that. So what does that look like? And then. The other side of it is for Atlanta, that's the rebuilt part of this unit. That's the unit they spent all the money in free agency with Anya Mata and Jesse Bates and Kate Nellis and, you know, all these other cats. So what does that look like? And, and in some ways, we always say, well, okay, well, here's the feature side of the game, and it ends up being the other side. Yeah, so That's true. You know, that's true. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be really interesting to see what Carolina looks like. You know, because Frank Reich played it close to the vest and should have with uh, with Bryce Young in the preseason. Atlanta ran core stuff in their three preseason games and didn't play the starters really, but two series. So, what does that look like on Sunday? And I, I think that's really one, probably the most fascinating part of the whole. Oh, game. it's going to be so fun to find out. Yeah, I, I I did want to ask you about that defense. Like, there's uh, there's obviously mystery there, right? But man, they made it a point to go at a bunch of dudes. Jesse Bates yeah. in a in a defensive backfield is is tremendous. Um, what do you like? How much difference? How, how different is this defense going to be? How much better do you think it's going to be? Well, where Grady Jarrett was a, a standalone, you know, three technique in the middle of the defensive line, now he has Anya Bonner, right? Um, you know, he's got guys in there that can help him. Calais Campbell, albeit a little long in the tooth, still's got, you know, 16 to 25 reps a game where they feel like he can be somebody. Uh, it also frees up Lorenzo Carter now off the edge. I think Atlanta's focus is from that defensive front with Jared and Anyamata kind of out, if you will. And I think Bates is the guy you had to get. He, In my opinion, he was the most important offseason acquisition. You had to have somebody in the back of your defense who was a playmaker, who was also a leader. And Jesse's proven that, whether it was in Cincinnati, obviously with the Bengals, but really at Wake Forest, he proved what a great leader he was. And I think that's a huge piece of where Atlanta's going for sure. Before we let you go, what's the overall belief level right now in Desmond Ritter as a starting quarterback? It's, you know, it's funny, Mac and Bone. This is the part now where Atlanta's got to say, okay, we had a guy here for 13 years that completed nearly 70% of his passes, okay? And I, I've been telling Falcon fans, you're going to have to get used to somebody who hits, if, if it goes right, 60 to 63, but he makes more plays athletically. And it's just a different time. And Ritter is a terrific guy. Atlanta's been so fortunate to have guys, you know, certainly Matt Ryan following Michael Vick, and that's the book nobody ever thought would be written, right? And he did a great job here. And now Desmond Ritter has really taken the responsibility of being the leader of the football team. And that's something that I've appreciated, but I also think it has to translate to what you do on the field. And now we get a full season hopefully from a health perspective of him being able to, to gear it up and, and show Atlanta what he can do. And look, the guy won 40 some odd games at Cincinnati. I mean, it's, it's not like this cat fell off the pickle boat and said, okay, here's a helmet go quarterback. I mean, he kind of knows he's been wired to do this and I'm excited to see it happen to be honest with you. 
Wes, all we ask of you this week, first of all, we used up so much of your time. We covered oh, every every football game played in the South last week or this Wes week. We gonna, have covered. He's, he's going to invoice us. <laughs> but, well, I wasn't going to talk about Elon Wake Forest because my alma mater, you know, there's tough first half, good second half, but, you know, that's a nice win for Hey, that is, uh, Elon is my wife's alma mater too, Wes, so when they lose, I try to not say anything about it on the air. I don't <laughs> want her tuning in getting more mad at me. Oh, but I was going to, only thing I was going to ask you is, when you see Jim Zoki this week, make sure you give him some tips on living that West Durham life. He made a comment oh. yesterday that now that he's doing the ECU play-by-play, that he's going to live the West Durham life, where he's doing college game Saturday, pro game Sunday. So have a couple of tips for our guy, Zoke. All right, that's Let me all tell we you what, it's the, Rick, it's the Ric Flair life, boys. Private <laughs> guests and luxury cars. We're, we're doing a uh, Jim Zoki West Durham, Anish Shroff mileage tracker right now on Monday. So let's keep it going. Keep it going. Hey, let me tell you what, Anish got the biggest break in America doing Friday night for ESPN. He the whole day in between. So he said the same thing. thing. You guys are so what jealous the, of him. Hey, what the hell fun is that? I mean, come on. Like, where's the challenge in that? <laughs> you can go home and unpack. I mean, that's no fun. All right, Wes. Have fun Thanks this weekend. Guys. All right, man. All right, Thanks. there you go. Thanks. West Durham. Yeah, he'll have App State. Speaking of the busy schedule, he'll have App State Carolina 515 ACC Network on Saturday. And then Sunday, he'll call for the bad guys. He'll call Falcons and Panthers. Listen to Mac and Bone every weekday morning from 6 to 10. Instant replay continues with more in a moment. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. You're listening to Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice. Earlier this week on the Kyle Bailey Show. As we told you, we're welcoming in a guy who just wrapped up a press conference, a guy that we welcomed here to Charlotte for the first time back in 2019, the summer of 2019, after the draft when the Hornets took him 12th overall. And how about his debut a couple of months later? And here we are four seasons later, and he inked a three-year, $48 million contract extension to remain a Charlotte Hornet. And as the flagship station of Charlotte Hornets basketball, how could we not spend a couple of minutes chatting with Hornets forward P.J. Washington? He's back with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. P.J., congratulations, brother. How you been? I'm doing good, and thank you so much. Oh, it's good to have you back. I, I talked to you the morning after you were drafted, back in 2019, mm-hmm. and so uh, four years later, here you are, man. We're all a little bit further grown up, and uh, you, you've inked a deal to stay a Charlotte Hornet. How happy a man does that make you? Uh, it makes me feel excited. Um, I'm definitely blessed to be in this situation, and uh, I mean, I'm just super excited. I mean, I can't wait till the season starts, and uh, like I said, I'm just excited, and I've been in the gym with my teammates, and I feel like this year is going to be a great year for us. So, you know, some of the economics of basketball have changed, new CBA, and we've seen the contracts maybe look a little bit different. And your journey from the start of last year on through getting this extension, I'm sure, has been, you know, full of a lot of ups and downs. And I'm just curious throughout all of this, um, you know, how confident were you that you would remain a Hornet? I, I saw Mitch Kupchak joked a little bit with you earlier in the press conference about that. But, <laughs> I mean, how how confident were you you would remain a Charlotte Hornet? I was extremely confident. I mean, I knew at the end of the day uh, we were going to find a deal that both sides liked. So for me, it was all about the timing and uh, just staying consistent with what I was doing in the gym and uh, just making sure I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing. 
So you're one of the leaders on this team now. You've been around the you're no longer a, a young guy. You're a veteran now on your second contract, and you talked about the offseason work. I mean, you've seen this through from James Borrego now back to Steve Clifford, and there's been some good stuff and, and some bad stuff too. Last year was a lot about injuries, and I'm sure it was a tough season to get to from that perspective. But give me your honest assessment of this team going into this season and what you think this group can accomplish. Uh, I think this group is definitely special. We have some great young guys. We have some great core guys. And uh, everybody uh, has the same mentality and goal of coming in and just being aggressive each and every day and uh, winning. I mean, for us, it's, it's about winning. Uh, we haven't done that year, here yet, so for us, it's about that, and uh, everybody understands that. Now, as far as your game personally, I, I referenced – I've had a couple of uh, conversations on this show with your former college coach, John Calipari, but I, I'll never forget one conversation he and I had about you on this show, and that was that you know you had the ability to do more. That basically, if they needed you to do more, that you could have, but you know, you're know you a guy who's willing to blend into a team to be a good teammate. With this new contract and with you being older and taking more of a leadership role on this team, how much more can we expect from you individually out there on the floor coming off a really good season? Um, a lot more. I mean, for me, it's, it's all about consistency. Uh, I've been very uh, consistent in the gym working on my craft, and I'm excited to show what I've been working on. Uh, so I'm a lot more comfortable scoring the ball and uh, passing the ball and doing a lot of different things. So for me, like I said, it's, the biggest thing for me is consistency. P.J. Washington, Hornets forward, got himself a three-year extension to remain a Charlotte Hornet fresh off the press conference. He's with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Um, change in ownership. There's change going on in your building right now. We talked to one of the new owners on this show a couple of weeks ago. Super nice guy, Rick Schnall, but Gabe Plotkin's up there as well. Uh, from a player's experience, from a player's standpoint, what have you experienced so far in this transition? And do you have any thoughts on new ownership? I think it's, I think they're great. I mean, we've already had some improvements to the facility, to uh, everything that we've been doing already, and uh, everybody loves them. So, I mean, I think it's, it's great for our organization. I'm just excited to be a part of it. Any th- any parting words from Michael Jordan? I know he's still a minority owner and he's still you know technically around. But did you have any uh, parting conversations with MJ? Uh, I just wanted to appreciate him for uh, taking a chance on me in 2019 and drafting me here in Charlotte and uh, everything he's done for me and my family and the organization. So I think he's great. Uh, he's definitely one of the best players to play all time, if not the best. So I think he's just done great things for the Hornets, and uh, I'm truly grateful and blessed to be a part of uh, the situation when he was here too. Lamelo, uh, he's a big, obviously a big piece of what you guys do. I know he's part of that off-season work too. Anything you can tell uh, us and the fans out there about, you know, the work that he's putting in behind the scenes as your point guard and as a leader out there on the floor. What what are we seeing from Lamelo right now in the off-season? Uh, I mean, we're seeing everything. I mean, Melo is Melo is Melo. He's uh, one of a kind for sure. Um, he's always in the gym working on his craft and uh, just trying to be better each and every day. So you you want that from guys like him, from uh, the best players on your team. So. For him to be in there and does that, it, it motivates the whole group. And uh, we're just excited. I'm extremely excited to continue playing with him. Uh, he's one of a kind, like I said, and uh, he's just going to be a special player from here on out. PJ, a couple quick things. We'll let you go. Um, your, your teammate, Miles Bridges, will be back this year. Obviously, he and his family have been through a lot the last year and a half away from basketball, but he's a Hornet again. A- again, as a leader, as a veteran guy on this team now, how does this team, this locker room, best support Miles as he gets back on the floor and tries to help this team win games? Uh, we're here for him. I mean, I'm extremely happy he's back here and playing. It's just a blessing for him to be able to pick up a basketball again after everything he's gone through. So, for me, I mean, he's, he's one of my great friends. Uh, he's been here since I've been here. So I've always kept in touch with him, and uh, I'm just happy he's back here with us, and I'm extremely excited to be on the floor again with him. 
Any thoughts on the Rook, Brandon Miller? We were all watching Summer League pretty closely now, but you've got a different eye than most. You're going to play with him. What have you seen from Brandon Miller so far? Uh, his work ethic, work ethic stands out to me. Um, he's very skilled. He can do pretty much everything on the court. He has good size to him. So I think he has all the intangibles to be a good player in this league, and I can't wait for him to come out and show everything he's been working on. So um, I think he's going to be great. Um, he's going to be really good in, in Coach Cliff's system, and he's going to turn a lot of heads this season for sure. All right, last thing I'll let you go. And I, I really am curious about this. The NBA is trying something new this year. And we're going to have an in-season tournament. Now, as, as somebody who's a good bit older than you, I, th- I think by my math, I'm about 14 years older than you. I've seen a lot of NBA, love the league, but mm-hmm. I cannot envision in my head what this is going to look like, PJ. I know it's just basketball, but like as, as a player, are you excited for this? How do you prepare for this? What have you been told? Shed some light on this for the fans. What should we expect for this in-season tournament? What do you know about it? Um, I know it's uh, definitely going to be very exciting for everybody, um, especially us players. It's the first time this ever happened, so... Um, it's going to be new for everybody, and I think uh, for us it's just the same. I mean, we go into it with the same mentality as we do a regular season and try to win pretty much every game. So I can't wait to go and, and see how it is, and, uh, and hopefully it, it keeps continuing to happen throughout the uh, throughout the continued NBA season. Uh, again, PJ, congratulations on the new deal. Glad you're sticking around in the Queen City. We'll see you in a couple of months. Thank you. There you go. There's another heaping helping of instant replay coming up next on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNC. The exclusive home of the Charlotte sports fan. This afternoon on the Wesson Walker Show. Folks, this is the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Got the text coming. A lot of people talking about Brian Burns. 336 number saying, I'm just saying, the more Burns keeps, quote, doing the right thing, the worse this organization looks and will continue to look if they can't get this deal done. But we just got the report that he is riding on a cart out to practice. So it looks like he is all in to play game one. And Walker, you and I were talking about during the break just how this has just been a very unorthodox move yeah. by him. Why now? Why would you sit out of practice and say it's a personal matter when we know it's about the bag? And then now you come back. It's just not making a lot of sense. It's really not. Like, I, I really am trying to make sense of this. I got it at first. And then even the change, I made it made make sense. Here we were talking in the last segment. Is this going to set a precedent for some players on how to truly hold out? Do you just go in and practice, skip the fines, get ready for the NFL season until gameplay hits and then decide that you're missing a game? And then he now is coming back to practice. So he, he's suiting up, right? Full pads and a helmet. He practices all the way through the offseason, attends training camp. Misses a few. Like, how many did he miss in total? Was it two or three? One or the other, right? Misses a couple practices. Now he's coming back on a Wednesday before a game you play on Sunday. And I don't know if, like, am I naive to think that he still could miss the game? I just don't know. Because I think most people see this and people think, oh, okay, he's playing 100%. That's that's what I would think, too, if he hasn't done this in a weirder way. Like, I just... 
I don't know what any of this means because he's already practiced. So if he practiced first and then he misses some, but now he's coming back after just a few, I, I don't. I just don't understand the process here. If if you were going to miss now, if you were really going to apply the pressure, then Wes, I wouldn't expect him to come back until Sunday. Hell, it was not to. It's not like saying you were wrong on this. I thought you were probably right, but you felt very comfortable that he was going to miss. All the signs are pointing that no, he's not playing Sunday. I feel like at this point now, the only thing that would be more logical with what he's doing, the way he's going about it. It's going to come out and have an LT-like performance, three, four sacks, and then sit out the next game against the That would be hilarious. That would sound like what would be the next logical (laughs) step for him based off how he's going about business. I I do want to mention this text, too. Teddy from Concord says, maybe it was a true personal matter. I guess, I mean, maybe. Maybe, but sources were not saying that to the reporters that are there every day. Joe Person said league sources did say that Brian Burns and his representatives did decide that this past week, last end of last week, beginning of this week, this was the time to apply pressure. Yeah, it's very odd. It's very odd. I, I guess I Hold don't it. know 100% if this does mean he's playing in this game. If I had to bet on it, then I, I guess this would mean he is going to play based off what he said for most of the offseason. But the, the three mispractices or whatever they were, very weird timing with the amount and just how compared to how you've operated for the rest of this offseason. And this is the type of stuff. This is why the players union, they can never get the type of deals they want from the league. This is why they get a 17th game and can't do anything about it and all this type of stuff that they complain about because they fold. It's like you come out with this strategy, apply pressure. What a pressure was applied. Nothing. You're back at practice. All right. So we have something from Fitty. What you got for us? All right. So take this with a grain of salt. Just got this from Bleacher report but according to uh everyone's favorite reporter in town david newton burns in his camp has set the price at 27 to 28 million dollars while according to him the panthers are closer to offering 23 million per year which is that max crosby money which i have said from the very beginning is where his true value is and so dude maybe this was a personal matter I don't think it was. I think he wanted to go in there and thought he would get the $27, $28 million that he thinks he's worth. Scott Fitterer and that front office hasn't caved yet, and I guess he realized I played hardball to right now I've, I've, I've lost. I don't want to hurt my team on the field. I'm going to show up to, to the field. And here's the thing. If he goes there and he balls out, right, and he plays phenomenally, it makes it easier for Carolina to pay him the money. Sure. Because that defensive line needs him with Marquise Haynes on the IR, you don't know what Justin Houston is going to give you. YGM's been a bust. Like, if he comes there and balls out, it'll be easier for Scott Fitterer and co. to give him the money. $23 million, I say trade me now because he can go somewhere else and get the money that he's looking for. That that $23, nah, that's not going to cut it. For All right, let's money. just uh, sit him to San Francisco and y'all give us Bosa. Nah, we're good on that one. But, no, uh, and I, yeah, this, so, okay, this is what we were thinking about, though. If they're, it's, it's pretty far apart. We were thinking it might get to 30, and that's where I got a little uneasy. So, right, like, Fiddy is on one end. Did you need some Tums? <laughs> you said you got a little uneasy. Yeah, this whole, this whole situation. I got some in my backpack, actually. I might take some out. I, I put it in my backpack because I wanted to know how this Burns negotiation was going to make me feel. Fiddy is on one side, where 23 might even be too much for Fiddy, right? Where even 23 Fair million. value. Do you think that's fair? 
He's a, he, he's Max Crosby he's Max Crosby level. He's getting twenty three and a half million dollars. That's what he is. I'm probably in the middle where thirty makes me uneasy in needing Tums. Like twenty, <laughs> is there any way to go into the middle here with a true compromise and get to that twenty five mark, twenty six? And and now I mean now that now it's been changed, right? It, if if this is true, then this is going to be interesting to see. What side gives in? And if Nick Bosa makes 30, does that change anything? I I would not have thought that 23 would have been that number that was thrown out. I wouldn't. I thought it was more, Wes. I think you and I are both in that. Yeah, that's trash. I thought it would have been more. Relative to sports. Obviously, 23 and a half million, 23 million changes everybody's life in here. But as far as it goes with NFL relativity, it's trash. Joey Bosa is sitting there making $27 million. Joey Bosa's a big-time player. But when you look at his numbers comparable to Brian Burns, especially the last three seasons, I mean, he hasn't been anything just otherworldly. So if you're Brian Burns, why don't you want as much or more money than him? And so I can understand why he's coming at the angle that he's coming at. I mean, if he really wanted to apply pressure, he says, I'm going to sit out. You can trade me because someone else will pay him what he wants. Like, that's that's at the end of the day, whether you feel like he's worth it or not. He's worth that to somebody in the NFL, especially at a premier position as a pass rusher. He's worth that kind of money to somebody. You had something else for us, I was just going to say, you wanted to know what this means for Sunday. Frank Wright met with the media. Here's what he said when he would roll out Ryan Burns being here for the the season opener against the Falcons. Frank, at what point do you rule Brian out for Sunday? Sunday. It's a fair question. I mean, obviously, it's the question. I understand. A very fair question. But... Like, my mind's not even going there. It's really not. Like, my mind is going to today's practice. And um, we'll deal with each day as it comes. This thing is going to go right down to the wire. Right. Like, so I I think when people see Brian Burns going out there, full pads, helmet, ready to go, I think people took that as a sign as, oh, okay, with this question, we know that he's going to play on Sunday. But now we don't. This thing is going to go right up to game time, and it's going to be whether Brian Burns and his representatives decide that we're not going to apply as much pressure. I, if it's $27 million, right, maybe you don't even meet halfway. If you're Carolina, then I would imagine the Panthers go even 60% of the way, right, 70%. It go, go up to something above 25 make him a top five edge rusher, even if he's not quite top five, pay above market value. We act like this doesn't happen for everybody else, right? Maybe you don't make, maybe it doesn't mean that they should do that here, but this is a premier position. We already know that you decided to turn down a lot of draft capital to keep them on your team. So a lot of the math doesn't make a ton of sense to me. If you decide to turn down two first round picks, and a second-round pick, reportedly. At least two first. Hell, get rid of the second-round pick. Even if you turn down two first, that was reported initially at the trade deadline when we all thought there was a possibility they could just be getting ready for a rebuild the following season, even just turning down two first, I would think that would entail going ahead and paying him top edge rusher money, top five edge rusher money. If he makes $23 million a year, then he's not going to be getting that. So if you get to 27, something very close to 28, this is the time where now I, I think I am on the side of the of the people wanting the Panthers to pay him. 
I think if, if that's what he's asking for, if he's asking for 28 and you don't think there's something very close you can come to him on his terms, maybe it's not the full 28 a year, but getting there like 26, 27, whatever. The, to me, this now falls on the Panthers going ahead and getting this done. No question about it. And I mean, this was also a situation, too, with these teams. I know that they know that these situations are coming. And I just don't understand how they get caught with just being or looking like they're unprepared. And I say the same thing about the 49ers. It's like, how do you not know this is coming? Do you not already have a number in mind? And, and I know for both an extension has been on the table for him. And I guess it's something that he doesn't necessarily like. But uh, for Carolina as well, that's a big gap in money, and a lot of people say, oh, it's just $4 million or whatever the case may be, but that's still a pretty sizable gap when you talk about uh, the salary that you want to be paid. And so, yeah, at this point, it looks like he's going to put to play because why else would you be there to practice on a Wednesday, the last day the NFL coaches give guys to be able to go out there and show what they can do before they decide if you're going to play or not. All right, so let's go ahead and read some text because there's a lot coming in on this Brian Burns conversation. Uh, we do have a 336 number writing in. They should offer 25 mil a year. If he doesn't take it right away, then trade him. I mean, yeah, 25 a year. I, I wonder where Brian Burns and his representatives would be on that front. Trash man, he said, I'm going to hold out of my job and show up sparingly and see if I get the bag. Hell no, I'm getting fired. Well, yeah, that's... That's different, different market. <laughs> Fitty. Somebody did write it earlier. I want to find that text to give him credit. But someone asked, is this is what is this what's going to happen to Fitty when his contract is up? Is he going to go to the negotiating table? Maybe just practice with us. He's going to be in the fishbowl talking about ideas, coming yeah. up with segments, but he's going to skip shows. Is that what you're going to do, Fitty? It was Panther Bo who wrote the text in. I because I'm the arrogant dude that I am, I might be the dude that does my on air, like do it on the air, which 100% guarantees that I'm going to get fired. But I could not do that to you guys. I could not prepare y'all's show and then not be in here and do the work. Thank you. Maybe you just say it publicly so higher ups <laughs> hear you. I'm not doing the show. Come Monday, overreaction Monday, I'm not running that board. I'm not doing it. And then the hardball does not work out for you, and then you decide. Right, I'm playing, I'm playing. I'm running this out for you. Yeah, I was tripping. What you got, Fiddy? I also got a video from Mike K over the Observer. Uh, Burns is not taking part in the stretching routine. Now, maybe he thinks like I think it's stretching what? is overrated. But uh, if, if he's not stretching, I don't think you probably think he's going to practice. Fiddy, that might be one of the worst things you've ever said on this station. <laughs> The stretching is overrated. That that's the that's one that got bad. you. Was that's that a uh, was that a stretch of a take? Yeah, that's an awful take, man. <laughs> I, so, d despite Fiddy saying what you think is one of the dumbest things, I didn't realize that was going to hit in the dumbest things category. Me yeah, that, that's pretty bad. The, the benefits of stretching. Come my, on. my man Wes loves some stretching. <laughs> yes, I, did not I do. This. I have a roller. I stretch. <laughs> Talking to a guy with chronic back problems. All right. So stretching is vital. All right. So that is a sensitive subject. <laughs> it, when it comes to stretching, you know, don't play. I did want to get back just to one other. Like, am, am I missing something here? This is weird. I don't. 
Okay, so now he's in full pads. It, if he's not stretching, is he not going to Yeah, this is just stupid. I don't it's know stupid. what's going on. Just go home and sit down and chill, man. Like, seriously, I, I will be ignorant. Like, tell me that I'm missing something because I don't know what I'm missing. I really don't I, as far as any kind of approach. I just, it, it feels like a mess, but we'll see. If it, if it all ends up in Brian Burns getting paid... 25 to 28 million, which is what he's reportedly asking for, than fair. But here we are just asking a bunch of questions and not answering them on the air. Like, this is what it's come to. You can hear Wes and Walker live and local every weekday afternoon from noon to 3. You're listening to Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice. Earlier this week on the Kyle Bailey Show. John Copenhaver, a big grab right there. Uh, what a night for North Carolina. What is it? Such a tight end name, too. I almost called him Copenhagen. <laughs> That's what I keep on wanting to call him, too. Then I wanted to dip, but I don't do that anymore. Anyway, let's talk Carolina football and a whole lot more with a former Carolina defensive back from Stadium. He's a college football analyst, but he's so much more than that, folks. The great Michael Felder on X at In the Bleachers. He's back with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. What's up, boss? How are you? Hey, man, you said you don't do that no more. Let me tell you something, man. I miss dip every day, but baby, I'm a Skull straight man. So listen, anytime, if there's a tight end out there, last name Skull, I'm ready to rock and roll. Hey, somewhere in Minnesota. I myself was a uh, a Grizzly Wintergreen guy for about 15 years. Woo! But, you know, when the baby started coming along, the missus said no more. So I had to quit. And I don't, and I'm not too upset with her about that. But uh, anyway, what a big win for Carolina Saturday night, man. It was a disaster for Shane Beamer on the uh, you know both lines of scrimmage, offensive and defensive. But how about let's start with the the Carolina defense? The butcher came on Rucker. The job that Gene Chizik did. I mean, just they were phenomenal on Saturday night. Yeah, Chizik was great, and I think that the re- the real thing for me, uh, KB, was watching. They just were so aggressive and. Obviously, when you're aggressive like that, like you lead to it leads to big plays for the other team. But when you win, and I think we saw it in the um, in in the in the playoff, right, with TCU and Michigan, where they TCU had what 13, 14 tackles for loss. I think UNC followed that same path of like, hey man, let's just we're not going to be bigger than everybody, but you know what we can do is we can be fast, and if we can be fast, we can get there and we can get we can get to the quarterback, and as long as we get home. We don't have to worry about what they're doing. I mean, uh, you know, the the offensive side, though, I wondered how much going into that game they'd try to run the football because the way to beat South Carolina the last two years is to run the football. They've been really bad defending the run. And, boy, Hampton and Brooks coming off the injury. I mean, those guys were up to the challenge. Did did they prove something to you you in that respect? Yeah, I loved it. I loved Listen, British Brooks, that was amazing to see what he did. Going over 100 yards. Um, really, in, 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 a, in a spot where nobody really believed in him, and I'll be honest, I didn't believe in him. I didn't. I was like, "This is the guy that's toppling your depth chart. Let's see what we got." And so he really went out and did that. And then you throw in Hampton, and it, it's the cool. The, the best part about it is Drake May doesn't have to be the leading rusher for this football team. That's ideal. <laughs> I mean, the fact that he ever was was kind of absurd. But I mean, they look. Well, all of this fits into a larger conversation about what we think we learned about the ACC in week one. Yeah. Um, I I believed from the start that, you know, Carolina, just by virtue of Drake May being there, 
you know, had a chance to be in the ACC championship game. I especially believe that after this weekend. And I think that they could be the second best team in the country, or in the conference rather. But I'm also not so sure that the second best team in the conference isn't the Duke Blue Devils, which is a wild notion to me and to you and a lot of other people. But I mean, let's just go to it. How about that last night? They held Clemson scoreless in the second half. I'm not sure Clemson ever really should have scored offensively. And Duke just dominated the ninth ranked team in the country. Mike, what do we take from that? Man, it's just it's it's a testament to recruiting. It's a testament to development. And Dabo is a guy who's supposed to be a wide receiver coach, right? And you know what? Hang on. I, I want to reverse course. Duke played a heck of a football game. Riley Leonard was amazing. I don't want to spend all the time talking about Clemson's failings. I want to give Duke some credit because those guys balled out. However, also, Clemson does not have dudes right now. And that's the part that's frustrating. I talked to a couple of Clemson guys, Clemson, uh, Clemson alums that text me and they were like, why don't we use the portal? Why didn't we use the portal? Why didn't we use the portal? And <laughs> I understand the concept of using the portal because Clemson was so bought into our culture and what we do, but they ain't got a guy on their roster. That's like Nuke. That's like Sammy. That's like Mike. That's like T. They don't have a guy like that right now. And it's, it's clearly showing. I, and that's why I said earlier in the show, Mike, I, no, we shouldn't draw definitive conclusions from week one. Yeah. But man, I, I woke up this morning thinking that I don't think Clemson's that good. Like I, I don't, I don't think they're a double digit win team based on just the talent level that I, like unless Dabo and Garrett Riley are going to coach these dudes up, like really coach them up. I don't, I don't think the talent is there offensively for them to be, a, you know, one of the two or three best teams in this conference right now. Am I, am I, is that a, a too big a conclusion to jump to, or could you see that on the field last night? I, I think it's too big of a conclusion, and here's here's the reason why. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I think that if they play slow grind football, Michigan style football, oh yeah, they could win ten games. But man, there's a huge difference between having Sammy Watkins or Mike Williams or T. Higgins, and also, and this is the thing I didn't say yet, but having Christian Wilkins, Cleveland Farrell, having Austin was it Austin Dave, like having all the like it's a huge difference we having. They are lacking at the parts that matter. And those parts are wide receiver and defensive line. And they don't have that right now. And you even with Miles Murphy leaving, like they're like, we're yeah, we're we're okay. Like these guys will line up and they'll do what they're supposed to do, but at the end of the day, like they aren't like I don't know how much NBA you watch. I know you watch the Hornets, but like mm-hmm. you know how they call Jimmy Butler Hemi Butler? I do. They don't got a hint for real. <laughs> I like the analogy. Um, Mike, I, I want to talk, you know, more about Florida State in a second, but yeah, I, like I'm looking at Duke right now. You got Riley Leonard. You got Jalen yep. Calhoun. You've got a salty ass defense. That is for real. Yep. Why can't that team? Win, why can't that team win the ACC title? They can. Okay. It's, it, listen, them and Florida State, that's going to be real fun. I'm excited. Like this is, to watch Riley Leonard and like for him to be a true problem, and we just referenced uh, Jimmy Butler, aka Hemi Butler. Like Riley Leonard, when I was at the ACC Media Days, you were there too. You were at ACC Media Days, mm-hmm. and you interviewed people from all over, and they were like, "Hey, man, Riley Leonard might be that dude. Like he might be the guy." 
And game one out the gate, he didn't put up the same passing stat line as Cade Klubnick, but he looked better, didn't he? Yep. He sure did. He sure did. Michael Felder, college football analyst, former Tar Heel defensive back. He's on Twitter or X or whatever the hell it is at in the bleachers uh, on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. We got a lot of things to catch up on. We'll do more next week. Thank you, brother. We'll talk to you soon. All right, man. You take it easy. You tuned into Instant Replay when the audio was so good, it has to be heard again. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. The exclusive home of the Charlotte sports fan.